Hello, I'm Faisal Terry, International Senior Watch Buyer at Watches of Switzerland, and I'm joined by Mark Tolson, Global Head of Watch Buying. Here at Watches of Switzerland, we have the absolute pleasure to work with a huge variety of brands in a prestigious and luxury industry. The primary function of the watches we sell are as time-telling devices, but those who have an interest in horology will be aware that many of timepieces have additional functions, all varying in price and functionality. Today, we'll talk about complications. We'll talk about what is considered to be a complication, how it elevates a watch, how brands showcase their designs, expertise, creativity and craft, and how it represents the brand and who does these complications well. Mark, this is always the most technical element of our job um, and we get to really focus on the minutiae of this detail. Can you start by telling us what a complication is? Well, basically, um, it, it's more or less anything that um, is above simply telling the time. Um, so anything from, a, from, from a, some augmentation with, with dates or a chronograph or, or, or a, a, a dual time or, or minute repeaters. So complications can be, if it's not an oxymoron, complications can be really simple, uh, just the addition of a date, or can be really, really ultra complicated, like a, like a minute repeater, which is probably the pinnacle of complications. And they have, um, they, they have a, a function um, to, you know, uh, to, to aid people in, the, in their lives, and they're, they're decorative in, in some respects, um, and they also express kind of the watchmaker's art and the skill um, which most of it uh, comes from, from you know, years, hundreds of years ago, really, uh, when when watchmaking was was really developing, um, and maybe they're not so much seen as, um, as 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 for the for the technical marvels that they are in, in when we live in an electronic and digital age, um, but really assembling, you know, six or seven hundred pieces into a into a into a forty millimeter case. For it to not only tell the time, but also, uh, you know, uh, make make a noise like a, like a minute repeater does um, is is quite something, and it's, it's really quite a skill. So, uh, so that's what we that's what we're talking about: complications in watches, um, and we'll try and make it as simple as possible. Thank you. Um, so I think you've covered why we have complications a little bit. Mm -hmm. So um, in terms of it's the the that the, the, we work with artisan products a lot yes. as well, don't we? Mm -hmm. um, and it's how the brands have the ability to showcase the mastery and mm -hmm. the technical element. Um, let's start with the types of complications. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, well, I mean, we, we we can't necessarily cover everything, but I think here we'll we'll talk about uh, about date complications. Um, we'll talk about uh, chronographs. Uh, multi-time watches, travel watches, um, and also minute repeaters, which we, we should definitely talk about because that is a, sort of the pinnacle. So really those are the four principal types, but I mean, within that there are kind of subdivisions, mm -hmm. really. Start with um, one that's considered um, the most simplistic of complications. Okay, okay. Well, um, so I mean, when, when people look at watches, they look at the, the date, which is normally at three o'clock um, um, on, on the dial, um, and it hasn't always been there, um, which probably sounds like a slightly bizarre thing to say, but I mean, the, the, uh, the date window appeared at three o'clock on, on a dial um, in 1930, 
um, on a brand called Mimo, uh, and it was on, on a watch called the Mimo-Matic, which was made by Gerard Perigo. So there you go. The first complication was the addition, not the first complication, but that simple complication in, term, in terms of, in terms of uh, dates appearing in a window on a dial was, was, was in 1930. W what people then tried to, to improve upon is if you have um, behind the dial a date wheel with numbers 1 to 31 on at certain points in the year where you've got 30 days or at the end of February where you've got you know, 28, 29 days, you're going to have to make some adjustments. So um, the next sort of level up in complication but not in terms of, of, of development in, in, in horology. The next sort of level up, we, we would probably say, is the annual calendar. So the annual calendar adjusts for 30 and 31 days. Um, that not a leap year. Not a leap year, not a leap year. So and that, the, clue, the clue is there in the word annual. You're going to have to change the time once a year at the end of February. But for 30 and 31 days within that 12-month period, you're completely fine. Now, Patek introduced that um, in the 5035 in, in, um, in 1996. Um, and that was, that was their development. They, um, they, they developed that, that, that design. And I mean, the great thing about it was it was, it was one step down from a, a perpetual calendar, which we'll talk about in a minute. But it was one step down from a perpetual calendar. It looked like a perpetual calendar. It almost had the performance of a perpetual calendar, um, but it was less expensive. Um, but it kind of it kind of looked the part, and it's and, you know it's it's a it's a really it's a really useful complication. So that was the annual calendar, and then the next level up, as we sort of mentioned, was was the was or is the perpetual calendar. So the perpetual calendar. Um, is adjusts for leap years. So it does your 30s, your 31s, and then every four years it will know whether it's 28, 29, and, and make, make the correct adjustment. So that's, I guess that's a pinnacle in, in sort of date complications. And, it, and it's quite a thing, um, you know, quite a thing to be able to do that with, um, you know, gears and cams, etc. In, in a watch movement. Um, so that's to say the sort of the pinnacle of, 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 of date complications. Um, again, comes back to Patek. Um, I mean, perpetual calendars kind of existed in, in pocket watches, but um, I think it was in the late, late 1800s, early 1900s. Patek had it, and I think in a pocket watch. And then um, Patek um, created the, the, uh, the first wrist worn perpetual calendar with the 97975 in 1925 um, which was you know a feat, a feat of engineering but it didn't really get into serial production till um, I think 1940 1945 maybe with a with a 1518 model um, and the perpetual calendar has been a, a staple of their collection along with the annual calendar as I said that that came along in 1996 they're relatively new then, and considering the history of the, the brands themselves, mm -hmm. they're, so 1925 was the first yep. Patek mm -hmm. um, Perpetual, yep. um, and the first date was 1930. Yes. I always associated them to be sort of much, sort of much more long-standing in terms of as part, as part of the, the, the lineage of, of mm -hmm. these brands. So it's quite interesting that they're, they're, they're relatively new in the, yeah. in the history in the history of watch of, of, mm -hmm. of watchmaking. Yeah, I guess um, so. Yeah. And their development, and as you said, you know, the amount of work and detail on a perpetual calendar mm -hmm. in particular, yeah. which 
would be why there's the price is associated with them because obviously the higher up these complications you're going from a standard date through to the annuals and perpetuals you're paying for or you're paying for all that expertise but it, i mean it's, it's a bit of a curiosity um, that um if you again, we're talking about PATIC a lot, but but they're integral to 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 the uh, to the conversation about about date complications. I mean, the the annual calendar movement that they have, the the three two four SQA, I think has three hundred and twenty six parts in it, and the 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 perpetual calendar in in the in the in the ladies' uh, PATIC perpetual calendar watch um, has a two forty movement two forty Q. And that has 275 parts in it. So the perpetual calendar has fewer parts in it um, than in the annual calendar. But it's just the way the thing's assembled um, that makes the annual calendar um, more affordable. But yeah, it, it, but it's a, it's, it's a lesser complication, but it's actually got more parts in it, which was a bit of a, yeah, an unusual thing, I thought. I'm not a watchmaker, but it sounds sounds um, far, far far from it. But I'm not um, a watchmaker the, either. <laughs> but no, well, it's just the yeah. I, it's part of the um, the craft, isn't it? Yeah, of, it is. Of, of, yeah, very uh, much so. Of these, yeah. of these. So um, you talked us through um, calendars. Mm-hmm. Um, which other brands do you think do a calendar watch well? Perpetual. I, I, I mean, it's it's in everybody's armory these days. So Vacheron do great perpetual calendars. Um, I mean, in terms of annual calendars, it's still a relatively limited field. Um, Patek more or less own it, but uh, Lang have done them. Uh, Glasuta, original, just came out with one um, a week or so ago. I think um, Jaeger Lecoultre as well do um, yes. good, good, good mm-hmm. calendars. In terms of commercial pricing as well, they have the heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, as you said, Patek will be feature a lot in this conversation because it's part of what they do and what they're known for. Um, but I think um, Jaeger Lecoultre have a very credible offer in absolutely um, in, do, yeah. in, in calendars yeah. and um, Blank Pan and Breguet, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. How important do you think um, when we were talking about the first dates? How important is it to the brands where they had the first or the if if they if they've kicked off that thing? It doesn't have to be in terms of calendars, but it's always you know they they're fighting for their position in is it in terms of their prowess and who does what better do you think it as as a, as a consumer whoever had the first one met automatic means it's the best option on the market i've been on some dreadful first dates but, really, <laughs> um, but in terms of uh, um I, I i mean there's obviously great store placed on on sort of in uh in horology on, on the history uh, and the legitimacy and being first but you know being first is, is great sometimes and and then other people evolve ideas and make and, and do different things so um i think if you've got a if, if you're one of the one of the kind of pinnacle apex brands from switzerland one of the horological brands you know patek breguet blanc pan vacheron etc etc um You've all got legitimacy in, in that field. It doesn't matter whether you're first or second. You yeah. know, uh, the the ability to make the thing is, is 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 what's important. Yeah, and I suppose the brand you said that were the first people to introduce a date on the watch in 1930. Mimo. Nobody knows who they are, but everybody no, knows no. the date. Just so yeah, yeah, I suppose yeah, exactly that. Um, yeah, 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 you've just answered the yeah. question for me. Um, calendars. Okay, thank you very mm. much. Um, next pillar or. Well, I, I, I mean, one of the things that um, we, we should talk about, because a, a lot of um, 
a lot of annual calendars and perpetual calendars, they do feature a moon phase, which is, is quite a kind of romantic uh, complication in a way. You do get watches that just have moon phases on. Um, and um, I mean, why are they, why are they important? Um, these days, it's probably difficult to sort of justify why people would have a, a moon phase on a dial other than they look attractive. But obviously, the, the, you know, the moon has got significance in, in, in our lives and, and, and in, the, in, uh, you know, in, in, in sort of in, in the world in that, you know, they control the tides, etc., have an influence on, on tides. So, I mean, a moon phase is a, is a, is a nice looking complication. Um, it's just basically replicates where the moon is in its waxing and waning cycle. Um, so um, on, on many moon phases, you will see the, um, you'll see a sort of half circle on, on a dial with, with two kind of raised bits. Uh, in the aperture, it's called a bosom moon phase for reasons that if we're showing them on screen, probably will become apparent to you. Um, but effectively, there's a cycle, uh, the moon cycle is 29 and a half days. So often you see a scale uh, over the moon face, it says sort of 29.5, 29 and a half, 29 uh, and, a half. Um, and um, basically within, within the, uh, the complication of the, of, of the moon phase, there are, I think it's 59 teeth, which each, each 24 hours uh, move one space uh, and that advances the moon. And once it's set, it aligns with, um, well, every 24 hours it will it will click over, and you'll you'll get the moon waxing and waning over the, over the 29.5 days. But this is where it does sort of slightly get a little bit mathematical, which is which is way beyond me. But effectively, the 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 moon the moon cycle is is 29 days, 12 hours, 44 minutes, and 2.8 seconds. So it's not exactly 29 and a half, which means that over the period of, of because there's a slight variance and because there's only sort of 59 teeth in general on a moon phase, after two years, seven months, your moon phase will be a day out. So you'll have to, um, you'll have to, you'll have to correct the moon phase. Um, and it, I mean, it sort of shows the length that some manufacturers go to, to, to correct things that you would think are sort of inconsequential in that every you know, two and a half years, you have to adjust your moon phase. Um, H. Moser on their endurance moon phase, um, made a moon phase that worked um, and would only need, would only be out by one day after a thousand years. So the perpetual calendar of yeah, uh, I moon phases. Yeah, I don't know who you're going to take it back to complain about. <laughs> if you, but, but, but that was that was a sort of general idea. So um, so the, you know they they stretched what they're able to do yeah. in terms of complications to a, a an nth degree. And I think there's a brand called Van der Klauer. Um, and I don't know whether they managed to stretch the, the day correction required to like 11,000 years or some, some ludicrous amount of time. But again, it kind of expresses the, the depth that the brands go into to show their expertise and, and, and the, the general all-round cleverness that well, they have. Well, I was just going to say, the level of detail you just talked us through, most people would, even if you own a moon phase, probably not be aware of, 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 of that level. Um, and it's amazing, always amazing me the, the facts that you can remember. Um, but it also, to your point, showcases what the brands are capable of doing and whether, how they're constantly trying to push their own boundaries, yeah. mm -hmm. particularly on something that doesn't, it's not a function we actually need. No. Calendars, relevant, um, the same as dates and, and things like that. But 
I don't think anybody's life is worse off if you don't have a moon phase. That's not to say that they're not valuable, but if you just think about the, the, the attention to detail mm. and that goes into it on something that isn't a necessity, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah, it is, yeah. And then I think while we're, while we're, still, um, while we're still in the heavens, um, I'll, I'll try and explain what an equation of time is because that's a, another, a, another complication that's allied to, um, to well, the rotation, of the, uh, the rotation of the Earth and the, the orbit. Okay, so um, the Earth's orbit around the Sun is not perfectly circular, it's elliptical, and, and the Earth has a bit of a tilt in it. Um, and so some manufacturers like, like Blankpan, for example, and on, on um, uh, I think Breguet also, they have something called an equation of time because the, the, the elliptical orbit um, and, the, and the tilt of the Earth mean that um, there's a variation between um, solar time, between true solar time and, and mean solar time. And that variation is plus or minus around 15 minutes. Um, and the clever people at some of these brands have been able to work out via, via placing a hand on the dial on a scale that's minus 15 and plus 15, where what the deviation is between solar, uh, the, between medium, mean, mean solar time and, and, and true solar time. And again, it's one of those complications that doesn't really mean anything to most people. Yeah. But it's the ability of brands to calculate those sort of uh, complexities yeah. and present them on a dial, um, and it's yeah, quite incredible. It, a form and function. I'm trying to think of other any other industry, perhaps the automobile, where it's that level of um, sort of detail and mm -hmm. the the the. I, I don't know. It's 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 artistry and mathematics mm -hmm. all in all all, all yeah, in, really in yeah. the in mm -hmm. the same in tied up. We don't see too many equations of time. No. Um, but um, they, they are there. So that's calendars Hopefully. In, in a nutshell. In very, a, in we, a big we, nut. Yeah, we, yeah, could, yeah. we could spend sort of two hours just talking about any, any, yeah. any one. Mm -hmm. You referenced those four sort of key complications. What would be the next one? Uh, well, I mean, uh, GMTs really, uh, or, or multi-time watches. Um, so, um, I mean, a GMT is, uh, stands for Greenwich Mean Time. Um, I think it was in, in 1884, it was decided, uh, there was some conference that decided that Greenwich would be the, uh, the, the zero median point and, and all times would be sort of, uh, would, would be set from there. I think it was due to, to, to Britain's shipping prowess or something that, it, that was, a, that was a, uh, the, the, the central point for timekeeping. Um, and then obviously, people travel um, and, and particularly when the jet age started and very simply there's a, 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 a hand with a large pointer on it and a bezel uh, with a 24-hour scale on it uh, and you can adjust that you could adjust the bezel on the GMT master so you could have the time in, in in two places at once and that was very simply it I mean it's evolved into the GMT master 2 where the, where you're in, you can now actually move the hand um, rather than just moving the bezel. So three time zones on three that Three times level. on that, yeah, exactly mm -hmm. right. Um, but that was fundamentally, uh, the GMT is a watch. Uh, Tudor do a great, a great version, um, and, and Tag Heuer, etc. So um, that's, a, that's a really useful complica complication for people that travel. Um, and um, yeah, 
More relevant than the equation of time. Well, I, 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 I was going to say it's that functionality and what's what can be most useful. Uh, I mean, we're not traveling too much at the minute, but mm -hmm. GM, you know, a lot of people work on different time zones, so you yep. don't actually even have to be mm -hmm. traveling yourself to have the sort of the local time or, mm -hmm. um, um, but yeah, credible, valid, yeah. relevant. And then um, beyond that, you have, you have world times, which, um, uh, they were, uh, we, we, have to, we have to talk about Patek again, um, but they were sort of developed with, with Patek and, and Louis Cotier, who was, uh, who was a, kind of, a kind of watch designer. Um, he, he developed the look um, and, and the design of, um, of, of, of world time watches um, in 1930 in, a, in, his, in his office above his wife's stationery shop in the back, back streets of Geneva. And I like to think he had an ample supply of paper and pens in order to, <laughs> to, to, in order to design his watch. But, 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 but Patek put it out on the market, in, I think, in, 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 um, in, in 1930. And again, a sort of iconic look was, was born, really, with sort of 24 countries uh, around the dial um, and, a, and an easy ability to, to tell the time in multiple, multiple locations all, all on one dial. And I mean, that's... It's, it's an iconic watch of Patek, the, the sort of 52-31, with the um, enamel part in the, in the middle, which is usually um, a, a, a continent or two from the world. Um, but obviously Vacheron do, do a similar sort of thing. You know, most of the principal brands have something like a, a world time watch. And I mean, it's a, it's a testament to his design, really, that they all follow the same sort of look because it was such a, a clever way of expressing what is seemingly incredibly complicated um, in, a, in a very, very simple way. Yeah, there's a lot of detail on those watches. Mm, I? I, was just, yeah. um, I was just thinking, just sort of mentally comparing, whilst we've talked about um, some of the other calendar models, they present themselves, they can present themselves quite differently, mm -hmm. whereas yeah. on, on the World Times, yeah. it's so, which is, means mm. that it can't be improved or differed too much. Not so. Yeah, they can't, but yeah, possibly not. I mean, everybody's everybody's more or less conforming to to, um, to to the original design, so it works. Mark, can you tell us about chronographs? Because this, this is this is there's there's a lot on this in terms uh, of our industry. Uh, there is. I mean, the um, we know we know. Uh, Blokes in the UK, well, blokes actually the world over, love a chronograph. Uh, so chronograph, uh, literally, um, my understanding comes from the Greek chrono, time, graph, writer, time writer. Um, and basically that's, um, that's what they do. They time things. So you can time an egg, you can time a race, you can time your car parking, wh whatever it happens to be. And it's a really, use a really, really useful uh, function, a, a useful complication. Um, and I... Probably is it 1816, Louis Monet developed a, a chronograph. The most common one that people talk about is, is a chap called Riasek, who developed um, literally a, a, a time writer uh, in 1821. So Louis XVII could time his horse races. It was effectively using paper and, and, and ink and some mechanism to, to record times. And that's really where where kind of chronographs started, but the, the, where they started to evolve into something like we would recognize today was 1913 with Longines. They introduced um, a monopusher chronograph, so monopusher, one button. One, one button, <laughs> there you go, um, there you go. So it, it was a one button chronograph and that had the function of starting, stopping and resetting 
the chronograph functions on this watch. So you get complications within complications. You do get, yeah, yeah indeed, yeah. Um, and um, so that was 1913. And then um, Breitling, who've got um, a, a great sort of history in, in terms of developing chronographs, uh, in 1915, um, put a button at two o'clock, and it might sound like it wasn't significant, but um, in the Longines, the, the, the start-stop reset button was in the winding crown, at, usually at sort of three o'clock. Um, so Breitling then developed the, uh, the, the design of, of chronographs further by putting the start-stop reset button at two o'clock and leaving the crown as a just as a as a as a winding as a winding mechanism, um, so that's that was that was an advance. It might not seem like anything particularly, but it, it was significant. And then to further add to the significance, I think it was in 1934, Breitling were were at it again, um, and placed the reset button and the four o'clock position. So then you have what we would recognise as as what a chronograph looks like today. You've got three buttons mm -hmm. on the right-hand side of the watch. The one in the middle is a winding crown. The one at two o'clock is your start-stop. And, um, and the, uh, the one at, at sort of four o'clock is your reset button for your chronograph. So that's thanks to Breitling in what, 1934, giving us what looks like the chronograph that we all, we all know and love today. And, and boy, do people love it. I mean, it is a really useful, it is a really useful function. So, um, so that was how your, how, your, how your chronograph arrived. Um, the the developments further well actually while we're talking about buttons and chronographs you occasionally get a, th a third button that's related to your chronograph and that normally indicates that the watch is is a rat is a rattrapant mm -hmm. um, which in French means catch up um, and this they're also known as split seconds chronograph um, and this is going to take some some. Uh, possibly some imagination and some explaining, but essentially um, a split seconds chronograph has two second hands, one over the top of the other. So got, um, and when you press a start button, both seconds hands set off together. And if you press the rattrapant button, um, the first hand carries on and the second hand stops. The second seconds hand stops. So you can do lap times. I was going to ask you, could you give us an example of when yeah. that would be? Yeah. Because okay. you don't need that for timing your eggs. You don't need no. that, no. But, Unless okay. you want two eggs and you want one a bit longer than the other, maybe you, yeah. you would get away with that. But, um, and then if you press the rattrapant button again, the second ha the seconds hand that stopped catches up with the first hand and off they go around the dial together and then you can press it again and do another lap time. I mean, they are, they are really complicated, um, really... Um, well, I'm going to say quite, really quite expensive. I mean, a, a Patek, uh, a Patek model is about two hundred and fifteen thousand pounds. There are obviously cheaper versions of that, but there's an, an obvious complexity yeah. in the chronograph movement to to allow those second, the, the two second hands to work together, and then one to stop, and then to catch up as well. It's quite something. Again, there's a lot of parts in a chronograph. Um, so about 270 parts in a manual wind chronograph and in a rattrapant, I don't know, well over 300, 312 or so parts in a, in a Patek split second chronograph. So it's a, a lot to cram into something that's, I don't know, 40 mil, 40 mil case. Yeah. And, and what's produced at the end is always, is always very beautiful as well. Yeah. It's not yeah, just yeah, yeah, yeah. something yeah. that's um, mm -hmm. uh, crammed in, as you say. It's, exactly. Uh, Exactly. So they were they were uh, manual wind chronographs, but I mean, one of the one of the things um, 
that's always we always talk about in in in, in the folklore of, of, of watch history <laughs> um, was uh, was the race to produce the the automatic chronograph, um, culminated in, in in 1969 with um, with uh, with actually Zenith producing. Well, like, many, like actually, like many things in watches, there's always several people claiming um, claiming that they they did things at first, but to make an automatic winding chronograph was a thing it was a name you had people like Hoyer, Breitling, Buren, Buren and uh, Dubois de Praz working on what became calibre 11 um, the chronomatic which featured in 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 the, in the Hoyer movements uh, sorry in the, in Hoyer watches and, and in Breitling watches in the in the um, in the early 70s but arguably Zenith got there first with the El Primero the first El Primero El Primero meaning the first in, in Esperanto, which was that world language that nobody ever bothered to learn <laughs> to speak. Um, but it was, I mean, the thing about that was it was a super, super fast movement. So 36,000 vibrations per hour make it super fast, super accurate. Um, and it's a legendary movement. Yeah. Um, and there's a, probably a whole podcast in, in, um, in, the, in, in, in the development and the fact that that movement was actually saved um, when, when Zenith had a, a you know, uh, when, when the quartz crisis hit the Swiss watch industry, how that Zenith movement and all the tooling was, was, was saved by, by, uh, by one of the members of the, uh, the, the, the Zenith workforce. Um, but an incredible watch, um, still in the collection today, it's evolved, they're now doing like tenth of a second versions of the, of the, um, of the El Primero uh, El Primero movement and the, the you know the Chronomaster original um, with its kind of iconic three coloured subdials about seven thousand three hundred pounds is a is a fantastic watch uh, really terrific and and a, and a and a significant development in the in the in the history of chronographs. Yeah, it's it, it carries its legacy and continue and continue, continues with it. So uh, it a brand is. we're beginning to see quite a lot of. Um, activity on and that's it's again what we were talking about before it's the variety with even within a complication mm -hmm. you know even then we just you, you touched on three or four different types and um, um but it's yeah it's, it's it's a fascinating industry isn't it and the i keep going back to the level of detail that they um, introduce mm -hmm. and let's go to the top end i think you you've saved the best for last and this is the real um this is yeah um it's certainly not the most obvious complication but yeah uh, it's i mean we're all familiar with um, with clocks that chime the hours and the quarter hours etc um you know church clocks uh, you know the westminster tower and big ben and all that um and you maybe mantled clocks and all those other things carriage clocks etc to get that into a watch was obviously quite a thing because you've got to make noise somehow um, and it's how you miniaturize all, all of that in order to produce sound that that tells the time um, and um, probably starts with a chap called uh, Daniel Quare in, in 1687 who kind of um, had some ideas about how to do it but I know we've mentioned Patek a lot but one of the key guys in, in watchmaking history was Abraham Louis Breguet. Um, and um, I think in 1820, he kind of perfected 
the the way that is most commonly used uh, or the the design that's most commonly used even today of how to make sound in, in a watch and it's little hammers hitting gongs inside inside a inside a watch case activated most commonly by a slider on the side of the case so you push the slider and um and the sound is then then the sound indicates what the time is and i'm probably gonna have to do the embarrassing thing about about doing dings and dongs on a on a on a, on a video but effectively um you you push the uh, you push the slider and, and imagine the time was 335 you would have dong 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 for the three hours and then for the quarter hours of which there would be two if it was 30 30 minutes past you'd get ding dong ding dong and then you'd get the minutes ding 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 so you'd get you'd get you'd get three three dongs two ding dongs and then ding 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 for the for the for the five minutes and that would be 335. okay so there's each um each area has a slightly different sound so exactly. you can identify specifically exactly the time yeah. without visual representation yeah. yeah and that's 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 um that's a minute repeater um a grandfather clock essentially shrunk down into a wristwatch. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I mean, in, in some respects. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, there's lots of ways. Uh, I mean, a minute repeater is is is, uh, is the most I say common. It's 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 an uncommon complication when you think. Um, I think for a Patek, it takes about three hundred hours to assemble um, a minute repeater. Then it has to be submitted to to, to Mr. Stern um, at Patek. Who, if he if he doesn't think it sounds quite right, will will send it back and say, "Can you have another go?" or tweak tweak things. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's the level of of expertise and, and care they take, um, and, and and you know other brands are like that as well. Um, I'm so pleased as my boss. You don't expect that from me because everything will come back <laughs> with a, yeah. um, a, um. a, a, a sub um, a, but um, sub satisfactory. That's incredible though that there, there is that that. The, the watchmaker themselves will have such, there'll be so few people capable of yeah, doing that. Absolutely. But the level yeah. that it goes through in the rigorous checks to make mm -hmm. sure that the end client is going to be completely happy with it. Yeah. Um, it's not quite a utilitarian um, timepiece, whereas a GMT is. Yes. Because it's, uh -huh. it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's the sort of the, the um, epitome of hotorology, yeah. I'd imagine. Mm. Um, and again, that sort of extreme of, of, of what, yeah. brands, what brands can I, I mean, do. I mean, I mean, principally developed um, in order to, uh, uh, to tell the time when it was dark. Mm. Principally, you know, electric light hasn't been around in many ways that long. And if you want to know what the time was in the middle of the night and you're extremely wealthy, um, then you could press your press your button and and, and count the uh, count count the hours count the count the hours count the minutes um and you know it, it's 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 also the ability of people to afford such a such a thing and uh, brands expressing their expertise in watchmaking in order to provide that that level of service and that level of expertise for for people who've got well these days heading towards you know a million a million pounds for for such incredible complications. Yeah. We have a lot of other elements that add into a watch. So for example, we were talking about it before, so like a fuse chain. So there mm. are complications on a watch, but it doesn't, can it still be considered a complication if its functionality doesn't change? So it still tells the time. It's not an additional function, i.e. your travel or mm. an, an audio element. So the minute repeater, 
do we still consider them complications? I think that's one of those um, one of those uh, conversations that could go back and forth. Um, I mean, I think we try to confine ourselves here to um, to just expressing complications in terms of things just beyond telling the time. Um, one of the things you could argue, or some might argue, is is a complication which is certainly complicated, is a tourbillon. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't really add anything to time telling other than, than accuracy, but it doesn't um, it doesn't allow you to know what time it is in New York or, or doesn't tell you where the moon is or anything. But but a tourbillon um, tourbillon means whirlwind in French, um, and it was again we come back to Breguet. Um, he developed the, the tourbillon uh, I think in eighteen eighteen oh one, and effectively a tourbillon rotates the, 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 the escapement, the, the balance, uh, the balance wheel and, and the balance spring um, once every 60 seconds. Um, and the original idea of that was when uh, obviously clocks and pocket watches tend to be static, tend to be in one position. If it's in your pocket, it's in your pocket um, and it's not really moving. And obviously gravity has an effect on, on, on mechanisms. Um, and so the idea of, of, of rotating those, those key elements in the accuracy of a watch through this 60 second cycle was to nullify the effects of gravity. Um, and that was the idea. Now to miniaturize those into a wristwatch was obviously again a, a kind of technical tour de force by, uh, by, by Breguet. Um, arguably, um, arguably slightly unnecessary in terms of timekeeping because obviously a watch is worn on a wrist so it's moving around more so it's not it's not static but in terms of in terms of a watch brand's ability to position itself at the at the top of the tree in terms of uh, in terms of producing amazing amazing movements then a tourbillon is 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 is, is one of those things uh, that you that that puts you right up there elevates yeah mm. i mean it's in general, there's around 40 components in, 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 a, in a tourbillon, and they weigh less than a gram. So you're, you're talking about really, really tiny, tiny, tiny parts. Mm. Um, I think was it there was the uh, the, the Zenith zero, zero G watch, which had a um, zero gravity watch, which had a, a, a tourbillon that rotated. I think 360 degrees. Um, it was in 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 a, in a round around carriage and I think that like 164 parts in order to do something that's beautiful to look at um, and has an impact on has an impact on accuracy and improving improving timekeeping but it was more about their ability to do it than just doing it yeah it's not it's not commercial it's not a commercial piece is it to to um it's it's interesting because we've referenced Zenith a couple of times and I think they they're not always at the forefront when thinking about um, mm-hmm. either com- certainly either complications or sort of some others. They've recently brought out some pieces in the market that there's huge demand for, which is yeah. which is great. But they they do have a they're very legitimate within the industry. For sure. The, yeah. When you talk about the Chronograph and the El Primero, um, they will say we were one of the only one of the three brands that only did the Fusé chain. So Breguet yeah. were the first, mm-hmm. Lang and Son, and then they did it in the um, Georges Favre Jacques, and then the Tourbillon that you've just spoken about. So yeah. it's interesting. Some of these smaller brands, they mm-hmm. not just Zenith, but some of these smaller brands really have um, a huge amount to offer anybody that's got an interest in horology. But sometimes we automatically think about 
the powerhouses and yeah. the, um, the, 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 the pinnacles. Um, can a watch be too complicated, in your opinion? We talked about sort of the, the four main complications that we're familiar with, mm -hmm. but we do see a lot where it's got this and it's got that and it's got that. Um, I mean, again, it's, it's um, you know, it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's almost human endeavour. Why, why would you not want to try and do everything you possibly can mm. um, and, and, and watch brands do that? So you get minute repeating tourbillons, you get watches with um, uh, celestial calendars, mm -hmm. um, you know, some of, the, some of the great complications like uh, the Henry Graves pocket watch um, from, oh God, way back. Um, was one of the most complicated um, pocket watches ever made. And I, I, Vacheron made the most complicated wristwatch um, last, last couple of years. And I can't remember how many functions that had, but you know, everything from um, simply a perpetual calendar, tourbillon, um, minute repeater, sky charts. I mean, if, you can, if, you can, if you're able to do it, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good. It's, yeah. it's a, a, so no, the answer you, it can't be too complicated. It's, no. it's yeah. What? Why? Why wouldn't you? Um, gosh, your knowledge. What you have forgotten, most people would never remember in their life. It's it's incredible. It's the thing that I've forgotten. This is always the things that I've forgotten that do worry me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna ask you what your favourite complication is, if you okay. have one. Um, so, what's your favourite complication? Oh, right. <laughs> oh, um, it's sometimes a little bit like when we go to when we when we when we lucky enough to go to the watch fairs. It's always kind of the last, maybe the last watch you've seen is always your favourite. Yep. Um, so I will go back to the last watch fair I went to, which obviously was the Watches and Wonders in, um, in, in uh, end of March, beginning of April, um, and um, it's the the Patek fifty three twenty six. It's a dual time watch. And it's an annual calendar, and combining those two uh, those two uh, complications um, was was a first for, for Patek, um, and you'll recall it because it had that kind of um, textured grey dial um, that kind of looked like I think they were saying it looked like the kind of old Leica cameras. Um, it's got that sort of antique look, but it also comes on it comes on a. Um, on a sort of beige strap, kind of a safari looking strap and also a, a black strap. Um, it got this amazing Clou de Paris hobnail pattern around the barrel of the case. And I thought that was great. That was a super watch. So that would be, that would be my favorite. So an annual calendar, um, annual, um, annual calendar uh, dual time for all my travels that I don't go on. So we've covered calendars, chronographs. I say we, you've, you've, you've done all the legwork here. Calendars, chronographs, dual time, minute repeaters. Um, anything else to add to that before we before we sum up for the day? No. No. Okay. No, I think I think no. I think I, genuinely. I mean, there's a there's a variety of. of I think that there's more things uh, that we we perhaps could talk about, but I mean, they're, they're the principal ones. Yeah. I, I think. Um, so yeah, I think that's. Uh, I mean, that covers the things that most people would want in their lives. I think so, um, yeah. and as you say. There's so much more we could talk about. It, it, mm -hmm. it can go on and on because there are complications within complications. But this just gives um, um, any of our clients a little indication of what an incredible world we work in. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we do. I mean, it's, um, it's uh, complicated. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Thank you. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to the Calibre podcast. We do hope you've enjoyed it. To watch this video in full or to discover more exciting horological content, subscribe to the Watches of Switzerland YouTube channel. To listen to more of our podcasts, please subscribe to the Calibre podcast on Apple and Spotify.